Welcome to Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Please enjoy today's message. All right, say it with me. We are a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Amen. Well, in keeping with my nonconformist personality, I'd like to share some things this Easter Sunday that may challenge some long-held traditions and at the very least will provide some food for thought when it comes to the details surrounding the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? But before we get to that, i got some cool slides to show you. Some of you may be familiar with the Shroud of Turin. Many believe it is uh, the actual burial shroud of Christ. I am a shroud believer, okay? <laughs> I'm a proud shroud believer. Amen. Anyway, if you know about the shroud, this is the front side of the shroud that shows the front part of the body there. It's kind of like a photographic negative. There was a burst of some unknown type of radiation that burnt this image into the cloth. And how they could fake that back in the, the time of Jesus or even in the Middle Ages, as some suggest, I don't know. And then you got the back side. And you can see his feet on the left-hand side, the head where the crown of thorns was. And so they have taken and studied this for hundreds of years. And now that modern technology is uh, at the stage that it's at, we've been able to extract a lot of data from the Shroud of Turin. Even the fact that, go back to the front side, even the fact that over the eyes of Jesus, they've been able to detect coins that were dated and uh, sealed and with signets, Uh, that were common to the era of Christ. So one of the coolest things that they just did, I mean, within the last month or so, is they've been able to extract the data from this image front and back and reconstruct a 3D image, which is that. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. They reckon Jesus was about somewhere between 5'10 and 5'11, which was extremely tall because most people in that age were about 5'6 or so. That was the average height of a man. So he definitely stood out in a crowd, contrary to what some people preach. You know there in Isaiah where it says he had no form or comeliness that we would look upon him, and it sort of implies that Jesus was ugly? I was talking about Jesus on the cross after he'd taken a beating. After he didn't even look like a human being, he had no form or comeliness that we would admire him or look upon him. But Jesus evidently was a fairly handsome guy and pretty bowed up. You know, he was a carpenter for all of his adult life before he went into the ministry at age 30. So it seems to me that he would be pretty bowed up, as we say in the South. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. Glory to God. Let's press on. We're going to take a look at two compelling questions when it comes to the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Number one is, how long was Jesus really in the tomb? And then what was the initial and most compelling evidence of the resurrection of our Lord? Amen. Let's begin with the first one. How long was Jesus really in the tomb? Well, first of all, Uh, If my answers to this question run contrary to your beliefs or your tradition, it's not my intent to offend you, 
but to get you to consider that there are disagreements when it comes to the chronology of the crucifixion week and the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord. The most common belief is that Jesus was crucified on a Friday, known as Good Friday, buried sometime between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. that evening, and uh, was raised from the dead the following Sunday morning. Consider this, however. Jesus prophesied that he would give only one sign to the nation of Israel, the sign of the prophet Jonah. And we read that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 40. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now there is no way, if taken literally, that this prophecy could be fulfilled in the traditional chronology. No matter how you look at it, you cannot come up with three days and three nights from Friday evening through Sunday morning. Now, the most common explanation is that the Jews counted a portion of a day as a whole day. If you accept that, that takes care of the days. But even with this method, you cannot account for three nights. Some have even gone so far as to suggest that the three hours of darkness while Jesus was on the cross was one of the nights. I say that's stretching it. If you have to stretch it that far, something's wrong with your theology. Amen. Because Jesus wasn't even dead at that point. He was still on the cross. Praise the Lord. People try to squeeze their tradition into the scripture instead of just reading the scripture and just let it explain itself. Hallelujah. No, I believe the answer is much simpler. I believe Jesus was in the heart of the earth exactly three days and three nights just as he said he would be. Amen. Amen. Now, everywhere else you read Jesus prophesying, it comes to pass exactly as he prophesied, right? Not about. Well, you know, it means about three days and about three nights. And no, that's not the Jesus I serve. You know, over there in Jonah one twenty seven, it said Jonah was in the heart of the great fish for three days and three nights. Again, it's emphasized three days and three nights. And then Jesus quotes Jonah. He says, no sign shall be given, but the sign of the prophet Jonah, the son of man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. All right. So the crux of the matter concerns the fact that the Sabbath day is prominent and it's mentioned in the storyline of all the gospel accounts. The fact that they wanted Jesus to be executed and buried before the Sabbath began is central to the timing. It's the key, right? But the assumption made by many Bible scholars is that the Sabbath referred to here is the weekly Sabbath, which fell on every Saturday. You know, in our way of reckoning, Friday night at 6 p.m. is when the Sabbath began. And it lasted till 6 p.m. Saturday night, our way of reckoning. But they reckon their days different, which we'll get to here in just a minute. 
So anyway, assuming it is the regular Sabbath that they were talking about, then that's where the tradition of Good Friday crucifixion and Sunday morning resurrection uh, was birthed. But there were special Sabbaths observed throughout the year in in addition to the weekly Sabbath. And Passover was considered a Sabbath. You can read that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 16, Leviticus 23, 5 through 7, and Numbers 28, uh, 16. But I'm going to go ahead and read Leviticus 23, 5 through 7. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Now, a little explanation is in order here. This is the month of Nisan. It's the very first month in the Hebrew calendar. So the first month on the 14th day at twilight, which is 6 p.m., which is really the beginning of the 15th day, that's when you celebrate Passover. And then verse 6 says, On the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. Anytime no work was done, That was a Sabbath. In fact, that's what the meaning of Sabbath is. You will not do any servile work, the King James says, but you will rest. Amen. Now, keep in mind, as I've already said, that the Jews reckon their days different than we do. We have a 24-hour day that begins at midnight and essentially splits our period of darkness into two portions. Midnight till 6 a.m. in the morning and 6 p.m. till midnight in the evening with a full 12 hours of sunshine or day in between. The Jewish 24-hour day is much simpler. A new day began at sunset, 6 p.m., followed by 12 hours of darkness or night till 6 a.m., and then 12 hours of sunshine till sunset the next day. Everybody follow that? I got it written down here because I didn't want to get confused. So if you think about it, their period of darkness came before their period of light. It's at 12 hours of night followed by 12 hours of day. So the following is an example of a possible chronology based on a Wednesday crucifixion because they needed to get him in the tomb before the Thursday Passover Sabbath. And if you follow my line of reasoning, you'll see that we can come up with, go to the next slide, we can come up with a scenario where you have three full days and three full nights where Jesus was in the tomb. So Wednesday day, stay with me, Wednesday day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., Jesus is crucified in that time period. He's crucified at 9 a.m., he dies at 3 p.m., he's taken off the cross and buried sometime before 6 p.m., the beginning of the Passover Sabbath. All right, then, next slide. So follow me here. Look at the slide. Thursday night, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., Jesus' body's in the tomb. Thursday day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., Jesus' body's in the tomb. Friday night, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., Jesus' body's in the tomb. Friday day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., Jesus' body is in the tomb. Saturday night, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., Jesus' body's in the tomb. Saturday day, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., sometime prior to the end of the third day, 
Jesus is raised from the dead. Because he said he would be raised on the third day. And if you think about it, they put him in the tomb maybe an hour or so before the Passover began. So maybe an hour before that day ended was when he was resurrected. And you get three full days of night and day, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Thus, the prophecy is exactly fulfilled. Now, the Jesus I serve is in the business of exactly fulfilling his word, not about filling his word or maybe or if you think about it this way, you know. No, he was an exact guy, and when he made a prophecy, he made sure it was fulfilled exactly. Amen. Hallelujah. And then, of course, Sunday night, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., early on Sunday morning, the way we reckon time, while it was still dark, Jesus reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. She was the first one to see him alive. And then Sunday day, somewhere between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., he... um, revealed himself to the other disciples minus Thomas. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. So there's at least one scenario where you can come up with three full days and three full nights that completely fulfill the prophecy of Jesus that chronologically occurs after he was placed in the tomb before the Passover Sabbath began. Amen? Amen. 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 Again, just so there's no misunderstanding, we can agree to disagree on on some issues, although I'm pretty convinced that Jesus wasn't crucified on Friday. The important thing to remember is this. We all agree on one thing. He is risen. He is risen risen indeed. Amen. All right. Now that I got all your brain cells going, let's take a look at the second question we posed What was the initial and most compelling evidence of the resurrection of our Lord? Why was the stone rolled away from the tomb? If you're not careful and you're not thinking, you might answer like this. So Jesus could get out, but you would be wrong. How many know Jesus was in a glorified body and he didn't need to have the stone rolled away to get out? He simply passed through the rock. So again, I ask you a rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is? It's the, where I get to ask the question and I, I get to give you my answer. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So why was the stone rolled away? The stone was rolled away so they could see the evidence of Christ's resurrection. So they could see it clearly. So that nobody would tamper with the evidence. God made sure that he cleared out the guard. He sent angels to move the stone, cleared out the guard, and stationed angels there several times. Angels are sighted at the tomb. You know why I think they're there? Don't be messing with that. That's evidence. People need to see that. Don't touch that. I think they were guarding the evidence till everybody could see the proof that Jesus was risen from the dead. Amen. Amen. So what was this evidence that was so compelling that God sent angels to remove the stone so everyone could see? That's a good question. A real close examination of John chapter 20 in the first nine verses, I think, reveals the answer. John chapter 20. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early 
when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. Now I find that humorous. You know there's humor in the Bible. John is the author of the book of John. He's saying, I was younger, I was faster, and I beat Peter to the tomb. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lying. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Amen. So let's summarize the picture that John was trying to paint for us here. Remember, it was... Still a little bit dark. It's early morning. When Mary saw that the stone had been rolled away, she mistakenly assumed that somebody had stolen the body. She never looked inside the tomb, but ran and told Peter and John what she thought had happened. When John first looked in, in the early morning, when the tomb was still not very well lit, he saw the form of a man produced by the linen cloths lying in the tomb. Assuming that Jesus' body was still in the tomb, he didn't go in for a closer look. In fact, he probably was wondering, what was Mary thinking? He's still in there. When Peter went into the tomb for a closer look, he saw the linen clothes lying, and he believed. When John followed Peter into the tomb the second time and took a closer look, he saw the linen clothes lying, And he also believed. So what was so compelling about the linen clothes and the way that they were laying? Listen, when the Holy Spirit in one passage mentions linen cloths laying, linen cloths laying, linen cloths laying three times, I believe he's trying to direct our attention to something that's important. So there was something compelling about the way those linen clothes were laying there that convinced them that he could not have been just simply stolen from the grave. He had somehow miraculously come out of those grave clothes. Whether Jesus was mummified, similar to the way the Egyptians prepared their dead, as some believe, or whether he was just wrapped in a single burial shroud, or whether it was a combination of the two, I suspect it was a combination of the two, for the linen cloths to be lying there and not to be disheveled or scattered in any way was something that evidently took Peter and John a while to sort out in their mind. They knew the body of Jesus was was gone, but it not It had not simply been stolen as Mary Magdalene thought. 
He had simply slipped out of his burial clothes without anyone's help, without disturbing them in any way, and they didn't have a clue how he could have done that. Unless he had simply passed through the linen cloths, still wrapped as if they still contained a body in some clearly supernatural manner. Unless he had risen from the dead exactly as he said that he would. That's the conclusion they came to. And it's really clear when you read John chapter 20, verse 9 in the Living Bible. For until then, until they saw the linen clothes lying, for until then, we hadn't realized that the Scripture said he would come to life again. Glory to God. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. I believe there'll be videos in heaven. You'll be able to go and look and see, oh, how cool was that? Man, watch that stone roll. Those angels having a good time. You know, I just think that that's the kind of God we serve. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. So let me conclude by saying this. Praise God. Once again, I want to say that we can agree to disagree on the chronology and the details of, um, of the crucifixion and burial and resurrection of Christ. We can agree to disagree. Because he is risen, amen? Amen. He is risen indeed. My main goal was to encourage you to think for yourselves when it comes to the scriptures. Don't believe it because you hear me preach it. Don't believe it because tradition says it's so. Until you've verified it for yourselves in the scriptures. What is the Spirit of God telling you when you read the Bible? When you read these scriptures? Pay attention when you're reading the scriptures. And... Something is mentioned two or three times in a very short passage. The Holy Ghost is trying to get your attention that there's life-changing revelation to be had. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. There are rich treasures in the Word. And this is one of them. I mean, how many times do you find something mentioned three times? It's almost like the Holy Ghost has to hit you over the head with a spiritual two-by-four before you see it. You know, I like the Bible. You should read it sometime. It's a good book. I found that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. Amen. With the Holy Spirit as your interpreter. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.